Michigan's performance against Minnesota was so good that it's hard to talk about this game. That's how you know that Michigan is one of the best teams in college football, is their performances, unless you're a Michigan fan, are boring to talk about. I myself am a Michigan fan, but I think I'm pretty objective. And look, what Michigan does is they constrict you. They bully you. They take your lunch money. Not just defensively, but now with the passing game working the way it works and flowing with beautiful rhythm with Roman Wilson, Cornelius Johnson, Colston Loveland, Donovan Edwards, and most importantly, J.J. McCarthy playing at a level of precision and efficiency that we haven't seen from him before. Michigan is an unstoppable force on offense and an immovable object on defense. And the only other team who looked that way in week six was Georgia against Kentucky. They won 51-13 to at home under the lights in Sanford Stadium against a ranked Kentucky team. Michigan went on the road under the lights and beat a conference opponent in Minnesota who wasn't ranked 52-10. to Between Michigan and Georgia, there's obviously a debate about who had the most impressive performance in Week 6, but Michigan has retained their spot as college football's most efficient team, according to ESPN. I think Michigan had the more consistent, repetitive performance, a performance that could be replicated in the future, more so than Georgia's against Kentucky. And also, Michigan has consistently looked more dominant and put together than Georgia has this season. But this isn't a Michigan versus Georgia video or even a Michigan versus Ohio State or Penn State video. But the way Michigan dominated, a continuation of their dominance and efficiency against Nebraska, and an expansion upon their style of football that allowed them to basically sleepwalk through their first four home games, leads me to have to talk about the rest of the season and put things in perspective of what this Michigan team can be and who I think they are right now. Welcome back, fellow football fanatics. It's your host, College Football with Sam, and right now, There are so many wide-open spots for the college football playoff. Honestly, if the 12-team playoff was introduced this year, it probably would have been the perfect time to do it. Because every team this year, even Michigan, even Georgia, even Washington, Ohio State, Penn State, all these teams with elite potential or, or who have looked elite for a week or two weeks or for most of the season, have had moments of vulnerability and struggle. And there are several teams with high ceiling potential. Oregon and Washington right now, they're ranked, I think, 7th and 8th or 8th and 7th. I think Washington is 8th or 7th. They're they're the number 8 and number 7 team. I just don't know who's number 8 and number 7 off the top of my head in the AP poll because I don't really care about the AP poll, quite frankly, despite the fact that I look it up and look at it. It's just passing information. Regardless, I think both Oregon and Washington are top eight teams, and I think they're even better than that. They're probably top six or top five teams in my mind. They're both in the Pac-12, and the SEC is Georgia. The Big Ten has Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. The Big 12 has you know Oklahoma. I thought they were fraudulent to a certain degree. I was totally wrong. Texas is still a good team. 
and the ACC still has Florida State who's finding ways to win and plug away. So there's a lot of competition in this college football season. And if you're new to the channel or if you're a part of the channel but you're not typically active, I encourage you to become active. And if you haven't subscribed yet, I encourage you to do so by clicking the big red subscribe button, hitting the notification bell, liking this video so we can get it into the algorithm, and also commenting your thoughts and analysis on this football game down below. Because, look, Michigan is one of the better teams in college football right now, but really, this football season in 2023 is so wide open in so many ways. I mean, two Pac-12 teams, realistically, could get into the playoff and survive. That's how good the Pac-12 looks. The SEC is having a down year, but Alabama could wake up at any moment. Maybe they already have woken up because Jalen Milrow looked like a much better quarterback and almost like a changed man against Texas A&M, even though I know their secondary stinks. But I don't want to get too much into general Week 6 talking points or performances. I want to focus on Michigan and Minnesota and the Big Ten here. But subscribe, like the video, and also check out my Patreon page via the link in the description. Later today or tomorrow morning, I will post an update about Potential Power, which is the main product and main extra feature of content on my Patreon channel. It was about 50% in predicting spreads for Week 6 games, which is still pretty good, and it was slightly better than that, although I think it had its worst week in predicting actual games, because there were plenty of upsets, if we're being real. You know, Oklahoma over Texas— and other games, too. Um, Kansas, for example, on the road, underdogs, they just blew out Central Florida. My potential power index predicted that Kansas would dominate Central Florida, but there were other games that it certainly missed the mark on, like Nebraska-Illinois, Kansas State-Oklahoma State, etc. So if you want to be a part of that journey, check out my Patreon page via the link in the description. But I've talked too long about Week 6 and about... Patreon and this channel. So let's get back to it. The Gophers just got destroyed. I mean, Michigan might as well have been a semi truck, and Minnesota might as well have been the unfortunate Gopher crossing the road. And Michigan's tire just went boop, and like almost like the Gopher was just a little bit of a roadblock that was completely helpless. That's what Michigan did. Michigan. When, when you win 52 to 10 in any fashion, unless you score, let's say, 35 points in the fourth quarter, and you have to really pull away late, and your opponent has several turnovers, that's one of the more dominant performances of the week, especially if it's against a conference opponent. Michigan scored the most points they've scored all year on the road, probably against their best or second best opponent of the year. I think Minnesota is better than Nebraska just by a, a smidgen. And I think they're better than Rutgers. I think that Minnesota, they may not have as high of a floor as Rutgers does, but I think they also have a higher ceiling. What J.J. McCarthy did was impressive. He averaged 11 yards per pass attempt. This is what, like the nth week in a row where he's averaged more than nine yards per pass attempt and close to 10 yards per pass attempt. He threw for over 200 yards one passing touchdown. That was an area where I got wrong on this prediction, is I thought Michigan would score in the high 40s, maybe low 50s, mostly on offense. I did not account for the fact that 
Will Johnson and Keon Sab would return two interceptions to the house for six. But nonetheless, Michigan's offense was great. There were some moments where it was frustrating. I wished Michigan had scored more than 24 points in the first half. But I expected Minnesota to be more competitive than Nebraska and than any other team Michigan had faced all season. And indeed, they were for about a half before Michigan just, you know, turned on the Jets and finished their job. Michigan right now is, they're one of the best teams in college football, and I've already said that so many times, but I think it's becoming ever more apparent. The only metric that ranks Michigan low in anything, and by low I just mean outside of the top three or four, not low as in outside of the top 25, is FPI. And FPI is very funky, I almost said flunky, but I didn't think, I don't even think flunky is a word. It's very funky. It relies on point spreads, and if you run up the score, you impress football power index. And Michigan didn't do that in the first four weeks. But Michigan now, in scoring tons of points, has risen in FPI. I think ESPN's efficiency metrics are more accurate. And right now, Michigan's the most efficient team in college football, with the fifth most efficient offense, and the most efficient defense. Their special teams remains outside of the top 100, and I'm beginning to be concerned about Michigan's special teams unit, um, especially with you know Jake Thaw, who doesn't have a ton of explosiveness and athleticism at punt returner. He basically is a fair catch guy. And Tyler Morris is obviously young at the position. He has more upside there, but the muffed punt that he had against Nebraska, or maybe it was Rutgers, I forget, and look, Michigan also had to replace their punter, their kicker. It was going to be more of a down year for special teams in retrospect, and I sadly didn't recognize that in the preseason. But outside of special teams, Michigan has improved in every aspect of the game. The offensive line looked great. Blake Corum had only nine carries, nine carries for 69 yards. And Donovan Edwards, he had four carries for 20 Kalel Mullings had eight carries for 47. I mean, Michigan is keeping this running back room healthy. They're still getting 33 carries. They got 33 carries in this game, and they're getting around that every game. And yet Blake Corum, for the whole season, has rarely crossed that 10 mark, from what I understand. It's been very rare for him to, you know, get more than around, you know, 10, 15 carries He's only had one game where he had more than 20 carries against Rutgers, and he had 21. Last year, by comparison, he had well over 30 carries against Maryland, close to 40. So the running back room is healthier. Of course, this means that Coram and Edwards won't be as statistically impressive as I anticipated in the preseason, but Mullings is looking better than I anticipated, and it's better that Michigan is less statistically impressive if it means they keep their guys healthy and they can explode in big moments. J.J. McCarthy, in my opinion, was the player of the game. Another would have been him, Will Johnson, or Keon Sab, just for their returning of interceptions for six. What a game for Will Johnson, by the way. But McCarthy is continuing to impress game after game. It's ridiculous. 14 of 20 for 219 yards and one touchdown. And that doesn't tell you the whole story, because on the ground... He also had 17 yards rushing and two rushing touchdowns where he showcased his speed, acceleration, and his 
you know, ability to really reach for the pylon and maximize his chances of scoring. It sounds simple, but not every quarterback does that. I mean, his scrambling ability has definitely improved. And his offensive line protected him well. Michigan only allowed, they didn't allow a single sack, and they only allowed three tackles for loss. Michigan embarrassed Minnesota's defense, and this is one of the worst Minnesota defenses under Joe Rossi, their defensive coordinator, but they still have talent like Tyler Newbin, Ja Joyner up front, Darius Green, a Kyler Baugh, Maverick Bronowski, Ryan Selig, Chris Collins. I mean, they have guys. They do. A Justin Wally, their number one corner who suffered an injury in this game. I forget if he recovered to the field or not. I think he did. Minnesota, I briefly want to mention this, Michigan's offense and defense, but especially their offense, was so powerful and strong and consistent, they wore Minnesota down very quickly. I mean, Minnesota players were dropping, they're dropping like flies in this game. And you don't want to see that if you're P.J. Fleck. If you're a college football fan, I hate injuries. I'm mentioning it in the same way that I think I mentioned injuries when talking about Penn State versus Iowa in 2021, where Iowa just imposed their will on a Penn State team who was faster and had a higher ceiling, but ultimately Iowa was just more mentally and physically tough. That's what this game looked like, except Michigan obviously has a much higher ceiling than Minnesota. In fact, Michigan's floor is probably higher than this Minnesota team's ceiling. That was the that's the disparity between these two teams. And quarterback's a big part of that reason. McCarthy had a 91.9 cube quarterback efficiency rating. That sense has been moved up to a 92 after some adjustments. He has a 93.6 quarterback efficiency rating on the season, 11 touchdowns, three interceptions, and he's thrown for 1,290 yards. It's nuts. It's crazy. I mean, I would have never suspected he would have been this good. And I know it's the first six games. He hasn't played a defense, a passing defense more specifically, honestly, worth its weight in gold. He hasn't. Ohio State's passing defense will be a much bigger test, along with Penn State's, than any other game he plays in. I mean, those two passing defenses, Penn State's especially with Kalen King, and Ohio State's with Denzel Burke, Josh Proctor, those two pass defenses are going to be some of the best pass defenses in the nation, and McCarthy will have to play both of them. But he has a 188.5 passer rating. He has 133 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns so far on the season. He's only been sacked three times, and he's averaging nearly seven yards per carry on the ground. He is faster, more aware, less mistake-prone, and has a stronger arm and more accuracy and a better touch on the football and better mechanics than he did last year. Much improved quarterback. Minnesota, on the other hand, has Ethan Kaliakmanis, who's 6'4", 210, younger than McCarthy. He has a 1-to-1 touchdown-interception ratio as of today. 797 passing yards, a 55.9 QBR, which is 77th nationally, and a 110.8 passer rating. And that's probably, that might be the biggest disparity in both of these teams is honestly quarterback. And that's shocking to say. Because Minnesota has good wide receivers. They have good tight ends. Their offensive line, I thought, played their best game of the whole season. The problem is Michigan is college football's best defense. 
and their running back room is deep. Darius Taylor ended up not playing, but once he's healthy, that immediately becomes once again one of the better running back rooms in the Big Ten in the nation. Darius Taylor, Zach Evans, Sean Tyler, Bryce Williams, that's a deep running back room. And then defensively, Ja Joyner, Kyler Baugh, a defensive back, Tyler Newbin, Justin Wally, and other players who are solid. If the defense can just get glued together and be on the same point and there can be more maturity and discipline there, then Minnesota's defense can really get in stride and start peaking sooner rather than later. I think the biggest deficiency in terms of talent and execution for these two teams might be at quarterback, if if you really want to talk about it. Quarterback. And Michigan has a massive advantage at every other position, but it was very clear, very clear. You could know nothing about football, and you could see that J.J. McCarthy was the best quarterback on the field. So that's why he was my player of the game and my pick for that, is because he had a great game. He faced a defense that had talent, wasn't necessarily executing, and was certainly demoralized, but a defense that had talent nonetheless, and he executed he did his job. He had three total touchdowns on the day, and he spread the ball out too against Minnesota. Michigan's leading receiver was Cornelius Johnson, three receptions for 86 yards, leading the team there. He had a good day. Kalel Mullings, um, he had one reception for 13 yards. Samaj Morgan got involved with two receptions. A.J. Barner had two receptions. Colston Loveland had one reception for a touchdown. Edwards had four receptions, and Roman Wilson had three receptions for 56 yards. So Wilson, Johnson, they're getting involved. Some younger wide receivers like Samaj Morgan are getting involved as well. Tight ends had three receptions and totaled nearly 50 yards. Michigan receivers on average gained about 15 yards every time they caught the ball. Very impressive performance. This offense is going through multiple running backs, multiple receivers, multiple tight ends, Multiple offensive linemen, whether it's Drake Nugent, Zach Zinner, Trevor Keegan, Trent A. Jones, Carson Barnhart, Ladarius Henderson, Miles Hinton, regardless. This offense is selfless. That's what it is. And it, it it's like a Swiss Army knife. This Michigan offense could kill you through the pass. They could kill you through the run. It's incredible. And I think that's so far the biggest improvement compared to last year or previous years is... This offense is dynamic. It's not a stubborn, smash-mouth, almost wannabe pro spread that throws Coram and Edwards at you. And like in the Fiesta Bowl, if TCU finds a way to limit your ground game and your quarterback's playing off kilter and your defense doesn't play the game of its life, then things start to really fall apart. Obviously, some of that is an exaggeration or a gross oversimplification, but... It's made to prove a point. Michigan now can they can adapt so much more easily than they ever have before, thanks in large part to J.J. McCarthy's development, Sharon Moore improving as a play caller, continuing to develop that offensive line, and now oversee and be the architect of this Michigan offense. And what he's done with getting receivers and players into position is really impressive. I was just... Honestly, Michigan's performance in some ways, of course, being a fan, but also trying to figure out who college football's best team is. There are some things to be desired from Michigan, 
but we'll get to that when we talk about them at the end of the video some more. I want to talk about Minnesota. Minnesota, I I like Joe Rossi. I like P.J. Fleck. I think that Fleck's culture that he's built at Minnesota is one of the better cultures in college football. And in fact, I read some of the reports during the summer that came out and what Minnesota players and P.J. Fleck had to say about those reports. And I think their response sort of embodies that, you know, very cool, calm, collected, well-resourced. I mean, they didn't really bend. They weren't scared because they didn't have anything to be scared of. So far, what we know about those allegations is that they were false. And if they aren't, then they aren't. And that's an entirely different story. But I only bring that up to say that this team is a solid team. They're always going to be mentally tough. Always. And Michigan Michigan didn't care that Minnesota was mentally tough. I mean, they just destroyed them flat out. Michigan had a total of 432 yards, 18 first downs. Minnesota actually led the game in time of possession. They had 31 minutes and 12 seconds of possession. The problem is Minnesota only had 10 first downs. None of those were from big plays. They only had 169 yards, one touchdown, which was honestly wonderful throw by Kaliak Manis, Probably better catch by Daniel Jackson. I mean, Mike Sainer still had that covered pretty well. Kaliak Manis threw it in the only spot that it could be caught. And Daniel Jackson made the play. Daniel Jackson has emerged as Minnesota's best wide receiver by a mile. But to focus on the team a little more than we'll get to Minnesota's individual players and efforts, what killed them was turnovers, offensive inconsistency, and the defense, which has really been how Minnesota's gone 9-4 and four for the past two seasons, has been an offense that has a powerful run game, but you know quickly sputters out, is a defense that is among the nation's best. In this season, Minnesota's defense is not among the nation's best. If it was, Michigan still probably would have scored in the high 30s or 40s, and honestly, you can't put this performance on Minnesota's defense whatsoever because the offense gifted Michigan with two pick sixes, and Minnesota's defense was able to limit Michigan's run game at times, also occasionally get pressure. J.J. McCarthy, for example, we already talked about him, but he went 14 of 20, 14 of 20 for over 200 yards. That, outside of the Bowling Green game, was his lowest completion percentage of the season. Minnesota has talent on defense, and I'm not putting this game on the defense, but what I'm trying to say is the offense seems to be per usual a Minnesota offense where there are faults with it and it is not going to be an offense that beats teams by outscoring them in a shootout. The defense not being elite or even near elite, it's probably just a good defense if we're being honest, doesn't do Minnesota any favors. It puts more pressure on an offense that is finding their identity. I'd say has found their identity. They were lost, I would say, for the first game or two, but they really found it with Darius Taylor. They found their identity. But this offense is still young. They're still learning. They're 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 learning how to operate within their identity is what they're doing. Because Kaliak Manis came out in that first game against Nebraska through more than forty passes. And if you're Matt Simon, Greg Harbaugh, and PJ Fleck, that wasn't going to work. 
that type of scheme was not going to win Minnesota games and maximize their chances of winning. And all in all, looking at this Minnesota team right now, they, they could probably go 8-4, and four, maybe 7-5. and five. They'd have to beat Wisconsin. They have, they'd have to beat Iowa on the road. It would be hard. But the West is very doable to win in. They have Ohio State left on the schedule. Michigan State, which I thought at the preseason was going to be a tough game at home, especially with Michigan State having revenge on their mind. Michigan State's without a head coach. They're going to be demoralized, and they've gotten beaten down. And Minnesota can go and go nine and four again, or eight and five, or seven and six. I think they'll definitely go bowling. So the short-term future doesn't look that bad. It's just a, a beatdown. It's something that you don't want to see if you're a Minnesota fan. There are some optimistic things about Minnesota's performance, though, though they're few and far between. But the offensive line, I think, is beginning to peak. Minnesota was able to run the football against Michigan pretty effectively, at least in the initial first half. Rushing for over 100 yards on Michigan and getting nearly 40 carries, and Zach Evans, Bryce Williams, Jordan Newbin, who had six carries or more, they all averaged around four yards per carry. Sean Tyler had six carries, he averaged 2.7. Zach Evans even had a long rush of 14 their offensive line opened up holes against Michigan's defense. Now, part of that was also Michigan was playing a four-man front. They were rarely bringing pressure. They played very conservatively on defense, willing to let Minnesota drive in between the 30s or from their own 20 to Michigan's 30, but then really bowing up and being firm once the Golden Gophers got into Michigan territory. But nonetheless, it's been hard for anyone to run on Michigan. Nebraska only averaged more than two yards per carry because of Josh Fleek's 74-yard run late in the fourth quarter against Michigan's backups, and Rutgers struggled tremendously to run the football, even though they have a more mobile and superior quarterback to Ethan Kaliak-Manis in Gavin Wimsat. So I was impressed with the offensive line, and I think that for teams not named Michigan, including Ohio State as well, but Ohio State being a road game and still having one of the country's best defenses, although not having as good of a D-line as Michigan's, that'll still be very problematic. Outside of both of those games, the one against Michigan this Saturday and Ohio State in the future, what team, talking about Saturday's game and future games, what team is going to mess with this offensive line? Because I, outside of maybe Iowa or maybe Wisconsin, don't see a team on Minnesota's remaining schedule on their final six games. I think this offensive line is really going to start to dominate opposing defensive lines. I was impressed by the running back performance, the offensive line performance, also by Daniel Jackson. Daniel Jackson with that touchdown catch, very impressive. Minnesota only had five receptions for the whole day, five receptions. Daniel Jackson had two of them for 34 yards and a touchdown. That's that's how impressive Michigan's defense is. Ethan Kaliak-Manis went 5 of 15 for 52 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. He had a 5.3 quarterback efficiency rating. You take away that 35-yard bomb, Ethan Kaliak-Manis is left 4 of 15, if it was an incompletion, 4 of 15 for 17 yards 
and two picks. That's nuts. That is, that's outer-worldly. You don't see pass defenses who are even elite have that kind of performance against any quarterback. That's crazy. So kudos to Michigan's pass defense. Will Johnson is obviously healthy and getting better week by week. Saying we're still outside of that one play, which was really hard for him to cover, had a great week. And Keon Sab collecting an interception and a pick six, that's awesome because I think he's a rotational player. I don't think he's a full-time starter because Mike Sainer still, Will Johnson, you know, Josh Wallace, I think still starting opposite of Johnson at corner, and then Makari Page and Rod Moore at safety. Keon Sab's a rotational player, and Michigan has depth. They have elite depth especially on defense, but also on the offensive line and at running back as well. The Gophers were just outmatched. They have to stay strong. They have to take away the positives that they can and move forward because the West is wide open. The only team who isn't winning the Big Ten West is Illinois and Northwestern, the two Illinois schools. Those are the only schools, and Purdue as well, who are locked outside, in my opinion, of reaching Indianapolis. I think Nebraska, with their run game and their defense, can find a way, especially with their schedule, given that their toughest game right now is just, oh well, a road game at Wisconsin, and Wisconsin is not invincible. Wisconsin, they look like the best team in the West, but Minnesota hosts the Badgers, and they've had their number over the past few years. And Iowa, Iowa has a 5-1 and one record, but I think they're totally fraudulent. I think that their defense is the worst defense they've had in quite some time, and the offense with Deacon Hill is probably the worst offense Iowa's ever had in the Kirk Ferentz era. I just think they're waiting for a quality opponent who stays calm and doesn't make too many mistakes to expose them, and that can be Minnesota, but they have to stay strong. They have to work out some things, and Kaliak Manis... Minnesota tried to take the ball out of his hands. They really did. They tried to have a balanced attack, but they also ran it for nearly 40 times. That's their identity. And even then, Kaliak Manis did not help his team. So for Minnesota, it's going to be very hard to be impressive on offense. They really have to improve defensively because that's the area where they have the most boom. That's the area where they have the most room for growth. I think Kaliak Manis puts a very low ceiling on the offense, which is sad to say because he has a really good supporting cast. Brevin Spanford, Nick Callerup, Daniel Jackson, Chris Altman-Bell, Corey Crooms, Sean Tyler, and then Darius Taylor at running back. He's an awesome supporting cast. And don't forget Tyler Cooper, Quinn Carroll, and Nathan Bowie on the interior of that offensive line. Minnesota can be a good football team, but we'll have to see where they go from here. Let's talk about Michigan some more. Michigan continues to be one of college football's best football teams. And they got over 400 offensive yards, seven total touchdowns. And like I mentioned earlier in the video, it was the Wolverines and the Bulldogs that had week six as a most impressive performances. It was the Wolverines and the Bulldogs. And Michigan throughout the season, I think, has been more impressive than Georgia. They've been more consistent than Georgia. And Kentucky... Kentucky, I think, is better than Minnesota, but they've played so far a much weaker schedule than Minnesota has. Minnesota played North Carolina on the road, who clearly looks like a top 15 team right now. Nebraska will probably go bowling. Minnesota's now played Michigan at home. And 
Kentucky, Kentucky has really only played Florida and Georgia. And Florida's a meh team. They're not good. Georgia, in comparison, is an elite team. So I think Kentucky is still better than Minnesota, but I want to mention that just because there's a chance that, you know, as time goes on, we realize Kentucky's just a benefactor of their really easy early September, early October schedule. But who knows? It was the Wolverines and the Bulldogs who really separated themselves in Week 6. Ohio State had struggles. Penn State was on a bye. Oklahoma upset Texas, who a lot of people had as their number one team. And I think all of us know that Oklahoma is not the best team in the country. So that draws concerns about the Big 12 and about Texas. Sarkeesian had some questionable play calling. And in the Pac-12, USC stinks. I don't despise any fan base or any team, typically. But this USC team is really annoying. It, it's very, it's very, it, it's extremely annoying. Their their offense is like Michigan's in terms of efficiency. It, it's totally different. I mean, USC is the better quarterback in Caleb Williams, better wide receiver room. Michigan just has the better running back room, tight end, and offensive line room. And the way they scheme, execute, USC loving big plays, Michigan loving consistency. They're both some of the best offenses in the country. USC's defense is the antithesis of Michigan's defenses. It is it is one of the worst, least efficient defenses in the country that Alex Grinch commands. Just want to get that out there. Um, a lot of teams, once again, who were top 10 or who were viewed as elite or near elite, struggled. And Michigan didn't. And when they've consistently dominated, and as Joel Klatt likes to put it, they, they act like a boa constrictor. When that's consistent, you have to take note of that. And I think that Michigan right now is the best team in the Big Ten. I still think they're the best team in all of college football. But we'll see when my top 25 comes out, either tomorrow or Wednesday, what I think. Make a top 10 video um, and then post my top 25, the rest of it, in my community section. So hit the notification bell if you want to see a top 10 team list. The offense was methodical. The defense was explosive. They took advantage of Minnesota's mistakes. Just what an impressive performance. And I have a question for all of you that I want you to answer in the comment section below. What weaknesses do you think Michigan has? What major weaknesses do you think they have? For me, I think it would be special teams. You could have an argument for that. They're outside of the top 100 in efficiency. Currently, Penn State and Ohio State, who are not known for special teams play, and who do not have as good of a special teams coordinator as Jay Harbaugh, they have better they have better and more efficient special teams units right now. Just look at the metrics according to ESPN. And part of that is because Michigan hasn't had to use their special teams a whole lot. They rarely punt. They, you know, rarely have to return um, punts or kicks. They don't really choose to. And they rarely have to kick field goals. Michigan has been very efficient in the red zone this year. Um, and you can say that they haven't played anyone, but against Indiana or against Nebraska last year or against Illinois, against these teams that they had no business struggling against, and I know Illinois had a good defense, but still Michigan was a far better team than Illinois was last season. They got bogged down in the red zone by 
a lot of teams last season. We saw this against Colorado State in 2022. They got bogged down in the red zone. That's not happening with Michigan this season. They're they're not perfect in the red zone, but they are becoming so much better in that regard. So tell me what you think Michigan's weaknesses are, because I can name some for you. I think with Michigan, big plays on defense. This is a this is nitpicking. This is a small critique. This isn't, you know, Don Brown 2018 and 19 with his mustache where Dwayne Haskins is just tearing him up or Justin Fields is tearing his defense up or Sean Clifford is throwing, you know, fades to KJ Hamler and our defense looks like a, you know, a playground, like preschoolers running around the playset. Um, that's not what this is. This is just a nitpicking critique. Against Nebraska, Billy Kemp was able to get big plays against Michigan's defense, including the starters. Daniel Jackson was able to get a long play against Michigan's defense. And Rutgers' only touchdown and their only score was a slant taken to the house by Christian Dremel. Only big, those are only big plays. Michigan's scores that they have allowed are predominantly off of big plays. Even against UNLV, now this was the second and third string defense, this doesn't matter, but UNLV's only score was a long touchdown run. So big plays, if I really am nitpicking, along with special teams, which I don't think is nitpicking, um, part of me is concerned that if Michigan is forced into a situation where their offense is sluggish and they have to punt, or they're not efficient in the red zone, or they maybe need a good punt return, I don't know if they can do that or win that way, at least against an elite team, because I think only an elite team could limit this offense. But we'll have to see. Special teams, big plays on defense. For offense, I still I still look at that. I still look at the offensive line and the run game and really Donovan Edwards, and I'm, I have yet to see a game where Michigan just kills an opponent through the ground. They're having success there. But Michigan still lacks the 2022, you know, impose your will through the ground game offense that I really enjoyed. But I think they have the capability to do that in watching the offensive line play. I just think they're actively not going that route because they want to keep Corum healthy and they want to get J.J. McCarthy more trained and more used to having to win games for them because that's what costs them against TCU. And if Michigan wants to win a national title this season, they're going to have to have a, a very efficient passing offense. I'm not going to say that this team is 2001 Miami good, 2020 Alabama good, or 94 or 95 Nebraska good. I need to see, obviously, how they do against the Penn States, Ohio States, Georgias, Washingtons, and Oregons of the world. I mentioned the latter Pac-12 teams because I anticipate one of those teams is reaching the college football playoff with the potential to win their semifinal game. I think the Pac-12 is that deep this year. But the Big Ten is deep too. Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan are college football playoff contenders. Georgia, I expect still to go 13-0 and and win the SEC. And between Oklahoma, Texas, and Florida State in the ACC, one of those teams, if not more, are probably reaching the playoff and or winning their conference as well. So... I'm not going to say Michigan is that team, if you know what I mean, yet. 
But if they continue to put on this dominant performance, this is going to be a team that is an immovable object and a force that cannot be stopped. So as a Michigan fan, I hope that continues, but there are no guarantees, and Michigan has yet to play a ranked opponent. So let me know what you think Michigan's weaknesses are. If you think they have any down in the comments below, let me know what you think their biggest strength is, and talk to me about the Big Ten and where you think Michigan fits in the college football playoff and national title picture. Thank you. Thanks to my patrons for sponsoring this video, especially to Spencer Bringhurst, my All-American patron, and Will Loftus, Gabriel Callender, Roaming Gnome, and Matthew Sale, my all-conference patrons. We do have a new patron, as I mentioned, and his name will be added tomorrow with the preview and prediction videos. Check out my Patreon page if you haven't, or if you have and you didn't see too much extra content that you liked, I am talking about my potential power rating system weekly now on Patreon and also giving rankings, predictions, and picks, not just from myself, but also from potential power. So check out my Patreon page to get exclusive access to that if you're an All-American or Heisman. If you're an All-Conference or any tier, you'll get thanked at the end of the video and your support is always appreciated, never expected. I'm so blessed to have you guys and have this channel. Have a great day, guys, and I'll see you all around. Bye-bye.